All right, friends, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Beautiful day. Welcome to the 11 a.m. service at Believer's Church. Welcome everybody online watching live streaming. Hope you're settling in. Yeah, I feel like the Holy Spirit's um, want to do something yummy today. Um, probably more like a steak than a cake. Um, and hopefully that'll make sense later on. So hey, will you join me um, for just a second? And, you know, uh, Jesus in Revelation, when he's talking to these churches, the Revelation 1, 2, and 3, he's writing letters to the churches, and he always says, whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches, let him hear. And so there's something about us cooperating with the Holy Spirit that enables us to hear Jesus. So can we just take a moment and open, open ourselves consciously to the Holy Spirit? And, and, you know, so we've been taking this moment to put our attention on the Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask for help to see Jesus, to see you, to hear you, Lord, not, not to, I don't know, pay attention to a person yammering on, to hear you speaking to us, to hear you speaking to us, and so we open our hearts to you, you have access to us, you're so good, you're so good, so if you want Jesus to have access to your heart, just say yes, yes, okay. Great, let's do this. All right, well, I'm going to, you know, we've been talking about for a few weeks now, what do I want? And it's a good way to start the year to ask yourself the difficult question, what do I really want? And so if you want to know kind of how we get, got to this point, um, that we believe, it, you know, the big question is that at the deep of my, deepest place of my desires is what I want is God and his kingdom. But we're asking ourselves, is that what I really want? What we mean by God and his kingdom, it's this idea of that I want to know who this God is. I want to know this Jesus. I want to have this ability to see and to be, to be heard by him and, and, and to be his friend. To be in relationship to this God. That that's the deepest desire, the most profound existential desire that I have. And then when I say his kingdom, what it means is the world as he orders it. In other words, when, when we say that God is God, we, we, the assumption is that he made the world and that there's something broken about the world. But his kingdom is Jesus coming to set everything right. And so, so that not only do I want God himself, but I want the world as he would make it to be. And, and we talk, we've talked about for weeks about the coming kingdom that, that when Jesus returns to earth, he's going to set everything right. All the things that we know are just jacked about the world, he will set right. But if we make Jesus our king right now, if we, we, we give our loyalty to this Jesus, he starts to put it right in us and in us as his people and that we start to live the benefits of the kingdom now. And so that's that's kind of what we mean by do I want God and his kingdom? And if that's the case, am I willing to relinquish every other desire in order to have it? It's like, whoa, that's intense. That's not an easy sell. But we looked at Jesus' parable um, that that I'll put up right here. This is that he said the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had to buy that field. And what I want to talk about today is these two, two factors going on in this very story. It's desire and discipline. Desire and discipline. When I say the word discipline, what I mean is, is a way of being, a training, a, a way of acting. So if I act in a disciplined fashion, it's because I'm choosing to act that way. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? There, there, are, there are automatic responses we have to things that are, that are good ones, right? If you see a car coming to you, just jumping is a good thing, right? 
But there's most of what we hit in life, we have to make a conscious decision about. Right? How I'm going to talk about this person, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think. And, and so it, that's what I mean by discipline, is conscious decisions of how to act. Does that make sense? And, and it takes some training, by the way. So we see that there's desire here with the kingdom of God. That this guy, in his joy to get the kingdom, to get that treasure, that's why he sold everything. Here's the, it's the critical starting point for everything about the kingdom. It is a place that starts with desire. It is not because I have to. It, it, is, it is a wild, beautiful, romantic love. How many of you guys, we are in the second service, so maybe you didn't see the sunrise, but did anyone here see the sunrise today? It was like the sky was on fire. It was, it was like, I, it was not a safe drive for me on the way here because I just kept on, you know, looking at this sunrise, like, does anybody else see this? I actually pulled into the parking lot and Laura, who plays cello, and Brooke, who sings, were parked in the parking lot just watching. They're just watching the sun. It was so gorgeous. That's the God we're talking about, that he, he made us to be able to feel and have a sense of, of, of beauty and, 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 and a sense of purpose and meaning. And, and so the, the kingdom starts at that place where we taste a little bit of what this God is like. And we say, I will do anything for that. The price is not the issue. It's just whatever it takes. I'm in. I'm in. I, whatever. What, what, whatever. I'm in. But there's also this discipline. There's this choice. This is... I have to, he had to sell the field. Why? Because the treasure was in that field. In other words, the only way to it was through the discipline, the action, the, the, the conscious moment that may, who knows, maybe he didn't really, really think, ah, I never saw selling everything I own today, but I'm going to do it. Why? For this desire. And so there's this powerful interplay is that desire inspires discipline. Does that make sense? In other words, this desire is making me want to go do this thing. But then discipline nurtures desire. Because, because if you don't have any discipline, you actually can't attain to the desire. Does it make sense? Okay? So, so I see, I want this treasure, but the only way to get it is to sell the field. Here's another, here's another illustration. Let's say you want to be a burning guitar player. <laughs> I know exactly who that was, too. Say you want to play the guitar. Maybe you heard a song, and now you're like, that's the greatest song ever. I have to play that song. And you don't know how to play the guitar. Great. Well, that desire to play that song will actually inspire you to start practicing a little bit, right? So maybe you learn a couple notes. Bing, 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 bing. And then may maybe you learn... Two chords, right? You get the, the Mel Bay guitar book. You got to be kind of old to know what I'm talking about, but Mel Bay guitar. If you've been studying guitar, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you learned a D chord and a G chord. So you learned those two chords. But here's the problem. The song you want to play has five chords. So here's how then discipline nurtures that desire. The only way I'm going to be able to play that song is if I learn all five chords. So I've got to keep on working on it a little bit. Why? Because I want to play that song. So it's just another little thing where the, 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 I'm doing the practicing because I want to be able to play the song, not just because I think practice is good. Here's what's powerful about, uh, well, I guess what I want to say is this, is one of the differences you can make between actually following Jesus and religion, okay? Because the religious life only says, just show me your disciplines and I'll believe that you have any desire. You know what I mean? And actually, I don't care if you have desire. I just, I just want you to behave well. And that's awful. <laughs> it's just devastating. It's, it's, it's soul-destroying. It's soul-destroying. But for some of us, we're so used to that environment, we're almost scared to think about what we desire. That I could follow Jesus because I want to. Yeah. I mean, one, 
One guy says it this way, God is training us to be able to do what we want. Could that be true? That, that Jesus is, through this inspiration of the, the, that, that, that beautiful treasure, that, that the discipline that helps me go after it, actually he's forming me to a person who lives out what they want because I want God in his kingdom. That's the life that Jesus is inviting us into, not just this shell thing called religion. Something really important to recognize here is desire is not the same thing as feelings. It's really, really important we get this. Desire is not the same thing as feelings. Feelings are helpful. They are flags to something's going on. It's like smoke to a fire. Feelings give some information. But as, as one guy says, feelings are great for giving information. They're terrible for running your life. See, because, because we can desire something, but feel the opposite. Let me give you an example. So this is uh, the message translation of Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Since I first got married, I'm married 26 years now. Since I first got married, this is a prayer. I remember I've sat praying this prayer many times over myself and my wife. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. That is what I want for my wife. On Monday night, we got in a rip-roaring argument about something. I don't actually even remember what it was. It was after 10 o'clock. I'd already fallen asleep like an old man in my chair. Woke up. Realized something, and I started a conversation with my wife and I, and it went crazy. And, and I'll tell you this. While this is my desire, this was my feeling. I must win this argument at all costs. And it made so much sense. Everything was sinking in my brain, in my mouth. I was saying things I hadn't thought of in a long time. Right? My words were evoking something. It wasn't beauty. Right? It's like my words are pouring out. Like it's just, if I also decided, if I notice all of your flaws, you'll get even better. That wasn't my desire. But my feelings in the moment were flying. And here's something to notice it's not just us, Jesus. Jesus, who himself, Philippians 2 says that Jesus gave up. All of his rights to, defend, to, to divinity. In other words, he wasn't like a superhero who had, you know, these secret superpowers that all of a sudden he could pull out every once in a while and fly somewhere. He's living the life that we live. That's why the Holy Spirit had to come on him, too, so he could learn how to live in concert with the Spirit. And so Jesus, over and over again, several times he says throughout the scriptures, the, the, read the Gospels, that what he most wanted was to do what the Father wanted. He said, I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father's commanded me. He's, I, I, I'm, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do my dad's. I just want to please him. Yet, when Jesus was faced with his most difficult moment, when he was faced with moving into the moment that was the culmination of his life, here's the way he responded. His feelings were this. He said he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to pray. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Guys, up to this point, he'd already been telling the disciples repeatedly, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. I'm glorifying my Father. Father, glorify your Son. I'm not going to walk away from this. He says in John 12, he, you know, he knows what's coming. He knows this is what the Father wants. And at the moment, his feelings betray him. And he says, Father, can we not do this? But here's the moment where discipline nurtures desire. He 
he, at this moment, somehow is able to say, but not what I will, what you will. How did Jesus do that? Well, guys, if we look back in his life, he lived a life where he was practicing for this moment. He started in, 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 in the desert where he's being tempted and he's super hungry and the devil's coming to him and saying, yeah, make some, make some you know, food out of the stones and you know, why don't you do this or that? And he's learning by experience how to say, no, my true desire is to follow the Father, to do what the Father wants. And here's a chance to practice. Over and over again, we see Jesus at key moments retiring from the crowds to be alone with the Father, to know what it sounds like to hear an instruction from the Father, to know what it's like to then obey the Father. I mean, to the point where another test is in John 11, people come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, your best friend Lazarus is about to die. You got to come home. And somewhere Jesus hears, don't do it yet. Let him die. What? You better be right on this one. But he has such confidence at that moment, he's able to say, we're just going to go wake him up. What? And he raises Lazarus from the dead. But, but that, none of that would have happened if Jesus hadn't been learning. But the desire of my heart is to follow, please the Father, but the discipline of hearing his voice, doing what it takes to hear him, and nurturing that desire. So that at the very moment when all of history, every human life was in the balance, he could say, not what I want, but what you want, Father. He practiced for it. It's a really super simple message. That desire inspires discipline. And discipline nurtures desire. And this is what happens with the kingdom. The desire for God and his kingdom has to be paired with this discipline of learning to relinquish every other desire in order to have it. Now I want to make it very clear, guys. This, this wasn't a special, you know, this wasn't a parable that Matthew 13, 44 wasn't a parable written for only super Christians. Only for the, you know, the guys who are really crazy out there. This is just it. This is, this is it. This is what we signed up for. So the question I want you to consider for yourself is this. When have you sensed, when have I sensed the most desire for God? What was I doing? Because some of us, some of us, again, and man, man, can I relate, of going, desire for God, what? Because I grew up in church, and most of my Jesus-y kind of things are remembering, this is, it remembers like styrofoam cups, bad-smelling coffee, and weird shoes on the pastor. Those are the things I remember. Yeah, I mean, just being bored constantly, and being around strange people with bad breath, and I, I mean, that's the desire of my heart. I mean, there's some stuff to navigate through that. So if you're like, I don't get that, that's exactly where the conversation has to happen. Don't move any farther past it. God, this guy's talking about wanting you. Is that possible? Is that even something that's anywhere in me? And you're going to have to fix some problems in my thought life here about what you are, what your people are like. That's awesome. We're talking. We're finally talking. Some of us, though, you, you have tasted. You've been like, oh, I, yes, I did taste God. I did. And you know there was that moment. So what I want, we're going to just ask you to reflect for a little while right now. And I'll stop yammering. And just say, I want you to just think for a second. When have you sensed your most desire for God? And what were you doing? Maybe you're in a worship service. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you're taking a walk. Maybe something else was going on. So take some time with this. For some of you, it's going to be too much time. Some of it's going to be not enough. Either way, just take some time with it and, and search your heart.
Okay, like I said, some of that, some of you that's not enough time, some of you it's more than you need, but just put a pin in that. If you're going like, I've never sensed God's presence, please put, please come back to that. Because that's exactly what God wants to talk with you. He's so, 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 so interested in us and opening us up to the deepest wells of desire inside of us. So if that's the case, awesome. Talk to him about it. God, is this even possible? Some of us others had some spot. Maybe it brought you back to some memories. I don't know. So here's the second question I want you to ask. Okay, so these are places I've met God. What am I doing right now to nurture my desire for God? In other words, this idea of discipline. What I mean by that is this. It's just simply saying, I love to eat steak. And then, then you know, my friend makes a wonderful steak dinner, but before I get there, I, I eat an entire box of Ritz crackers. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want the steak. I'm full. The, the, the discipline is, what am I doing to not eat an entire box of Ritz crackers just before I eat the steak dinner I really actually want? Does that make sense? Okay, so just, just think about it. What's going on in your life to keep on going back to that spot where you're desiring God? So take a few minutes with that. Things to notice about yourself in this, if you're like, uh, you know, you're starting to feel bad, like like someone's going to quiz you on what disciplines that you do, and you have to prove that you love God. That that if that's how you're feeling, that's exactly where God wants to meet you. Okay, so why do I feel like I have to prove myself to God and other people? That's where He wants to meet you. Okay, because He you don't you don't have owe anything to anybody. Okay. In terms of like showing off that I, I God, I really love God. Who cares what somebody else thinks? Who cares? Let me just say this. At its essence, this is the entire life of following Jesus. This is it. This is it. It's actually really simple. It's the recognition of desire, wanting God, and then doing whatever I have to. It's a life that this is the beautiful part. When we obey Jesus, we start to get in a place where our desires get fulfilled and killed. But they're the ones that stink anyway. Right? So, so the essence, again, is what do I want? I want God in his kingdom. That's the follower of Jesus is saying, and that's that place of desire. And then, so I must learn to relinquish every other desire in order to have it. That's the discipline. This is the, this is the whole summary of the walk. I would say spiritual life, but it's not spiritual life. It's the entirety of our life. I want Jesus. I want him to run the show, and I want to be in that orderly way of living. And so I'll do whatever I have to to learn how to live in his way of living because that's what will fulfill the deepest desire of my soul.
That's a lifetime of stuff like that. Right? I wish I could talk individually with every single person and say, you follow me? What are your questions about this? And that's the downside of preaching. Um, but this is it. This is it. This is it. So I'm going to make a couple comments. Um, postscript. Nice word for saying at the end. <laughs> this moment in history. Um, you know, we haven't at Believers been making a whole lot of kerfluffle about what's been going on. And I don't feel to do it today either. And here's the reason why. I'm already showing you the essence and the critical nature of what we have to be living now. Guys, anything going on outside of God's kingdom is at best a footnote. At worst, a profound distraction, or even worse, an idol. Guys, any desire that gets above my desire for Jesus, and this is for every follower of Jesus, it's an idol. Now, here's the thing. When we relinquish desires, Jesus actually resurrects some of them. He resurrects some of them in a new body, if you will. It looks different, and it's under his leadership. Because there's desires that just will kill us when they're disordered, right? Sex is wonderful, but it will kill us disordered. All kinds of crazy things happen, right? And, and so you might remember that we talked about... Um, as we've been talking about the kingdom of God way back when, we talked about idols in the wilderness. That when Israel's on this journey through the wilderness, it's God with them, taking them to the promised land. And at this moment where God is on Mount Sinai, I mean, guys, they see God. They see fire and smoke. I mean, it's not like they're wondering where God is. He's on the mountain. And Moses is up there getting the law. And the problem is, but they're getting kind of impatient. They want to get to the promised land. So they build a golden calf and they pray to it, but using the same exact name as God himself. What they're doing is they're trying to co-opt God to get what they want, even though they think it's what he wants, by doing their own thing here called a golden calf, an idol. So it's, it, it, it's, it's not so simple like oh, just they just had a really a fetish and affinity for, you know, Animals made of gold. I, that wasn't it at all. It's how could I control God? How could I get what I want? And it's, it's what he wants too. How could I do that on our terms? And so we talked about this, guys. Remember, we've been talking about for almost a year now that, that we, we, don't, you know, we don't see a golden calf and usually just like, I can't control myself. I have to, you know, not if you, I'm not seeing too many golden calves, but, you know, but, you know, a statue, I would just start burning incense. I don't know why. I just can't stop myself. But we do have idols, and we've talked about them already. Politics, independence, race, and it's just about power and money. And if you want to go back, you know, we did a sermon on every single one of those, and the kingdom of each one of those, so I don't want to go into all those they're easily accessible online. If you want to see what we're talking about, we talk about these things. One of the things that's really, really challenging for all of us, all of us, all of us, I don't care who you are, I'm in the middle of this, is that our hearts, our hearts get so co-opted by our disordered desires. They get confused by our feelings. And we think, that's what I want. And we, uh, how many times a day do I find myself running down a path that I've not checked in with the king to even know what he's saying or thinking or doing about it? Anybody relate to me? It's just like me arguing with my wife and saying, well, you always do this. And my deepest desire is to say words that evoke her beauty, actually. And I'm not saying them. <laughs> I'm distracted. I'm trying to run the show. If I could just tell her what I think, she will conform. Yeah. 
Married men are laughing and crying everywhere. I hope you are. So, do I have a problem with any of these idols? Surely not me. Well, here's a fun little test to know. How do I know if I have something to relinquish? How do I know if I have a desire that's disordered? If I have feelings that I'm letting bully me away from the true desire for God and his kingdom, his rule, his way of doing the world, and the discipline of relinquishing. Here's one simple test. Paul says the kingdom of God, the atmosphere, the economy of the kingdom of God tastes like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, funded by the Holy Spirit. So a question you can simply ask is, how, am I, how are my relationships, righteousness, right relationships, it's a relational word, between me and God? Between me and myself? You know, you can have a, you can have a bad relationship with yourself. Self-hatred is not a positive relationship. It's not a Jesus relationship with yourself. And other people. So here, here's it just a for instance. I'm probably out of order. I'm probably disordered if I'm willing to disobey my king in my relationships. Wouldn't you guys agree? Because who's running? Who, is it God and his kingdom if I'm willing to disobey the king in my relationships with others? It's probably not righteous. It's not set right. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1, what? Anybody know? Please, somebody say it for just to make me feel better. Sword drill, Matthew 7, 1. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little testy, but I'm just going to stay here. Somebody look it up for me, please. Matthew 7, 1. 1 through 3. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I disobey Jesus a lot. Do you? Do you find it's, it's, it's fulfilling your deepest heart desires to judge others? You know what I've noticed? Jesus says in those words, if I judge others, I'll be judged the same way. In other words, judgments are a lot of work. Because I have to meet my own standards. So Jesus is saying, okay, Kyle, you have a disordered desire. If we're judging our friends, how about this? If we're separating from our friends, especially those who know Jesus, who love Jesus, do you think Jesus would think it's obedience to his kingdom if we separated from our friends based on stuff he's not even saying? Right? I mean, if you're a parent, you're like, hey, did you guys do the laundry? Well, my buddy John called, and he was going to be upset if I didn't play the video game with him. Who here has actually had that situation in your house? He's like, well, that doesn't make any sense, because I don't remember John being your father. (laughs) Guys, guys, how's our righteousness with others? How's our righteousness with our words? That's the kingdom. That's the only way to your heart's true desire. How's your peace? Peace internally. Peace with God. Peace with other people. You know what's really funny about this political thing? I'm not stressed out at all. And you know why? Because my favorite thing to do, and I know this is going to sound religious, but it's taken me a long time to get here. I've tried a lot of stupid things. I've tried to be famous. I've tried to have power. I've tried to get people to like me. You know what? Being famous and getting people to like you, is those are the two stupidest things you could ever do. It's how to be hated, right? It's, 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 we're crazy. We're on crack cocaine if we think that's going to happen. But I've noticed that if I can be in the presence of Jesus and he calms me down, I want to do it again. And I want to do it again. And, and for years now, I've been practicing 
how to make my crazy mind. Guys, I have, my brain has a deformity. I have obsessive compulsive disorder, which makes it harder than the average bear to calm my mind down. So because I had to for years, I've been practicing. How do I just get in front of Jesus and let my mind, and go down below those feelings, down below those presenting things, and, oh, there you are. There you are. Guess what? I'm not on social media. That's another thing. I was like, why is everybody so stressed out? Oh, you're on social media. I'll just tell you right now, this is for your discipleship. I'm not joking. Who here has not yet watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Raise your hand high. You have to watch it. You have to watch it. Social media is not like watching TV. It's more like smoking cigarettes. And what I mean by that is, Jesus will still love you. We can smoke cigarettes all you want. Jesus will still love you. But you'll probably have consequences in your body. These things are not designed for our welfare. And the guys who invented it are the ones saying it. Okay? They actually, actually do harm us. And it's, it's psychological journals, all that kind of stuff. It's, I just watch it. That doesn't mean you can't use it. Go ahead. Smoke if you gotta. Smoke them if you gotta. But, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not quite that bad. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? It's not a neutral thing. I'm just telling you, it's not a neutral thing. We don't get smarter or more peaceful, generally. At least, at least that's my... I counsel people for a living. So I see the end result of some of these things. Um... Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Does it seem irresponsible to be joyful in a moment like this? It does, doesn't it? Especially with my kind of personalities. Like, truth be told, I'm terrible at joy. Even when I'm joyful, I feel guilty that I'm joyful, probably because there's something I'm not finishing, some kind of work I left undone. But apparently, Jesus believes that his kingdom is characterized. By these relationships that are not toxic, that are, that are kind, that are building others up, that by an internal peace that's not freaking out about all kinds of things, and by joyfulness, this kind of settled hopefulness about life. Is that unrealistic? Well, I guess the kingdom's unrealistic then. I mean, I'm not making, this is all stuff that's all in the Bible. So the question would be, guys, let's look at our own hearts, our own lives, our own actions. Am I holding something against someone because of their politics? Who's your boss? I'm serious. We have got to answer to Jesus for this. If we say he's our king. We don't have a choice. I don't care what your politics are. I genuinely don't. I care whether if you said Jesus is your king, you're letting him be your king. That is what I'm charged to do with you guys. I'm charged to say, but, but get, here's the thing, I'm selling the best product ever. It's the desire of our hearts, it's the living face and gaze of Jesus that puts us together and finally tells us, I have a place on this earth. I have a place in a community. I have a significance and meaning that has nothing to do with the job I have, how much power I have, how talented I am. It has to do with my Father who bestows on me all this stuff and says, you matter, and I need you here at this moment. You know, Jesus had this really crazy story, right, where he's in a boat with his disciples, and it can't be that big of a boat. You know, these guys weren't like super wealthy. And they're going across uh, 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 the Sea of Galilee. And it's so bad. The weather is so bad that these experienced fishermen are like, we're going to drown. We're dying. And what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. How irresponsible is Jesus? Right? You're the guy. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're sleeping. I still don't know how he was sleeping. 
What kind of an internal world allows one to be on a boat that's thrown around and you're sleeping? And so then he wakes, they wake him up. He's like, oh, okay. Storm be still. Bam. It's gone. And then what does Jesus say? Does he say, guys, I'm so sorry. I should have noticed this sooner. I didn't want you to, the level of, I bet you're stressed. He says, oh, you of little faith. Didn't you know who was in the boat with you? Guys, what if we're the kind of people that can sleep in a storm? Anybody can be anxious and angry and shout. That, does, that takes zero effort. It's the feelings that happen. But what if we're anchored in a desire that say, you know what's funny? Everyone's freaking out, but I've been checking in with my dad, and he's not stressed at all. He's just like, God, I'll just keep on doing what you're doing. I feel like the Lord is calling us, guys, to quietly be about our business of being the kingdom people. Not because we're not afraid of saying something. I just think there's so much noise. Nobody's listening anyway. Here's a question. This is why I wonder sometimes if I've been afraid to do evangelism. I want to invite people into the life that I'm living, right? There's been a lot of times I would not actually want someone to be in my life. I'm so stressed out, anxious, and angry. How would that improve that person at all? Right? I've been, oh, Lord, I don't even like the life I'm living. If this is really true, you've got to help me. And he'll help me. He invites me into disciplines that nurture my desire. Just simple stuff. Simple stuff. Like one of my disciplines is this. I read the news no more than twice a day and never after 10 o'clock. Why? Because Jesus is my barometer. He's my compass. He's my, and I find that if I start to obsess over it, he's not my compass anymore. He's not where I'm getting my information to hear what the Father's saying and doing. Maybe different, it's different for everybody. So, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be Christians. How's that sound? Anybody want to do that? Okay. So, one of the things, a kingdom thing that Paul says to Timothy, okay, now this is an awesome situation. He's sending Timothy to Ephesus, which is a, really, the church is freaking out. They've got false teaching and nonsense going on. And they're part of the Roman Empire, which the way Rome makes, would make sure that you knew were in charge is that anybody who rebelled against Rome, they'd hang them dying on a cross outside the city so you could see them walking in. I mean, that's way worse than the DMV. I mean, right? I mean, the DMV would make you think, I don't even want to be in this country, right? But, but you're walking into cities, and literally there are people suffocating and bleeding to death because they rebelled against Rome. That's Rome. That's really what was happening, okay? And Paul says this, as you're going to this kind of unruly church in this crazy empire, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, so that I'll get what I want. Wait, no, he didn't say that. That we may live peaceful, sounds like kingdom, doesn't it, and quiet lives in all godliness, righteousness, holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to enter the kingdom, all people to be connected with the deepest desire of their hearts, to be known and to be significant because they're seen and saved by their Father. <clears throat> it's hard to stay mad at people you pray for. It's hard to continue to judge people you're genuinely praying for. And could it be 
could it be that history hangs in the balance of our prayers? See, our religion doesn't believe that everything's just going to happen. It's not determinism. That, 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 that God asks us, will you actually give me permission to act in the affairs of humans? I think prayer is open that door say, come and mess this thing up, God. It looks like it's heading this way. Even better, I can give you a formula for how your prayers will always be answered. You want to know it? Ask him what to pray. Ask him what to pray first. Intercessory prayer is a deadlift if you come thinking you, you know what you need to pray and then you just got to say it for hours and hours. Jesus prayed all night to know which guys were going to follow him. If, if, if that wasn't listening to the Father, what was he saying all night? You know, Judas, you sure? Judas, you sure? Judas, you sure? Judas, you sure? Right? I mean, that, that's, that's not prayer. Prayer is partnering with the heart of God and what he wants to see and then giving voice to it. Intercessory prayer should be a joy in the respect of it's enjoying, Father. And then starting to notice, oh, you feel this about that. How would you like me to pray? What are the prayers in your heart, Holy Spirit? And then say those out. And God answers those prayers. Sometimes I don't even like the prayers he gives me. No, I don't want that to happen. I'm not the king. Let's stand together. So I want to invite you guys. You know, Roger alluded to this. It, over the next three days, um, I would invite you to some corporate prayer. So we're, Dane Lucas is leading a missions conference. They've been doing fasting and prayer since January 8th, and they're going to the 28th. Um, but we just wanted to partner with what's already going on, that three times a day there's a, a corporate prayer Zoom call. Well, there's be people on there praying. And for, if you, so if you want to get with some people and pray at these different times, there's all the fun info. It's also on our website if you don't want to write that down or take a pic of it right now. Um, corporate prayer and fasting. Who put that on there? Dane Lucas is the only person who probably put that on there. It's the skinny guys. It's Dane and Roger. They like to fast. There's something wrong with him. Now, guys, if you look, especially throughout the New Testament, fasting is almost always coupled with the prayer. Why? It does something to us. It creates a crisis. And it also helps us to focus. Um, here's the thing I actually feel to call you to, is if food fasting sounds like, yeah, I don't know about that, um, that's cool. Any of this is cool. You don't have to do any of this. You need to check in with Father and ask him, okay? What do you want me to do? But here's a fasting I think that would be radical and actually help us focus on God. What if you fasted all your media for three days? I mean, would the world truly incinerate if you didn't know what was happening? The president's never called me yet. He's never, the, the governor's never asked my opinion. Not even the mayor has asked my opinion. And he's not, I've never been caught like, I don't know what's happening. I'm sorry, mayor. He's never asked me. Does that sound crazy to you? If it does, maybe this is for you. Maybe you can only do one day. It's okay. It's okay. No judgment. But do you want the desire of your soul? Dude, have you tasted Jesus enough to know that him running my world, it's just so much more peaceful. I can maintain some right relationships. I can actually, strangely enough, have some joy and some hope about my life, even when nobody else does. Why not try it on? What can it hurt? Father, will you help us? We say again, we want Jesus to be our king. And I'll admit, I don't even know all that that means. But I know some of it. And it makes me say, you are good. You never quit. 
You lead me through some hard things sometimes. But every one of them, Lord, I've looked back and seen, oh, you were with me. You shaped me. You took me to the place I didn't know that you were going to do something beautiful in me, but you did. So, Lord, will you grab our hearts? Grab us. Help us to see that, that desire. Nudge us into desire so that, Lord, we could take one step toward you in discipline to nurture that desire. I pray for that for all my friends. I pray, Lord, today, the, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. These, you've transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, of Jesus. And that's who's calling the shots. So let, let us live in that kind of freedom and joy and discipline in these next three days. To the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. And please consider joining in prayer. Be a lot of fun.